What I wanted to talk about is one of the foundation stones of the coming move. And I wanted to talk about the power of covenant. To fully participate in the coming move of God, and this is my heart, I remember when I was about, uh, you know, probably not much older than you, you know, maybe between your age and your age, I went to a, uh, I was in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal in Bendigo. And it's like the first time, it was like a move that went through the Catholic Church and it was the first time that I ever realised that God was really real. It was like all of a sudden I'd been raised in church, I'd been going to church for 20 years nearly, and then all of a sudden I saw it. And I remember having a, a, a really unusual vision where I saw myself standing in a field with tens of thousands of other people with massive speakers. And I would never have thought of that, but I believe that the future move of God, it's going to break out of the church and we're going to see things like that happen. Because the answer to what is going on in the world is not in church, but it is where you begin to connect with people, real people, who are really connecting to God. So this is it. To participate fully in the coming move of God, we need to, number one, understand what covenant really is. Number one, understand what covenant really is. And number two, we need to become God's very own covenant people. And, you know, our heart for the church is that people would come here and that they would experience covenant, that they'd see real church and that they would know that there's something very real about that. This doesn't mean that we've got to be a perfect church. God forgive because I'm the pastor. He can't be perfect church. But wherever you go, you're not going to find perfect church. But you're going to find real people who really love God and who want the real thing. So I want the real thing. Do you want the real thing? So, so religion has hidden the real thing. But before Jesus comes back, we are going to see the real thing and we're going to experience it. And for that to happen and to fully participate in it, we need to, one, we need to understand what covenant is and we need to become very, God's very own covenant people. So I want to pray. Father, I just pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to understand what it really means to be a covenant people and I pray for the supernatural grace that we would become the people that you want us to be. That even we would move from here, forward from here and progress from this, the place, not the geographical place, but the, you know, our place with Jesus to become everything that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so definition of covenant. A covenant is a relationship between two parties who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. They're often accompanied by oaths, signs and ceremonies. Covenants define obligations and commitments, but they, differ, uh, but they are different from a contract because they are relational and personal. Now, this is a definition of covenant from the Bible Project. I'll read it to you again. A covenant is a relationship between two parties who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. 
They're often accompanied by oaths, signs and ceremonies. Covenants define obligations and commitments, but they are different from a contract because they are relational and personal. In the scriptures, there are several covenants between God and man. And the two most commonly understood are God's covenant with Abram. If you read uh, Genesis chapter 12, it says that God called Abram, called him out from his homeland and brought him to a place. He said, I'm going to take you to a place that you don't know and I am going to bless you there. And I'm going to multiply, I'm going to increase you, I'm going to make you a nation. This is what, what God's prophetic word over Abraham was. It started with a call and a prophetic word. But Abram, his name was Abram then. He had to respond to that. He had to say yes. And you know, we know now that Abraham is the father of faith. And we, in a sense, are sons and daughters of Abraham. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the reality. So the two most commonly understood um, covenants in the Bible are the Abrahamic covenant, which is all laid out there in Genesis chapter 22. And we know that part of the promise was that Abram would have a son. And he, uh, he went and did his own thing and, and uh, Ishmael was the result of that. But then God in Abram and Sarah's old age proved himself true and Isaac was born. And Isaac became the son of promise and the son of hope for Abraham because in him all his hopes were in that boy. But in it, it is like a prophetic picture of the cross and Jesus because once that, it was his only son. Abram uh, had one son and that was Isaac and then God called him out and invited and, and asked Abram to offer everything that he had, even the life of his own son. And it's a pretty wild story if you don't understand it in its context. But while Abram is uh, preparing his son to be sacrificed, which is a prophetic picture of the church, there the Lord, an angel comes and says, don't touch the boy, and there was a ram caught in a thicket there. And God provided. And that's where the name Jehovah Jireh comes from. We call him Jehovah Jireh because it says the Lord will provide. And that's where that story is. But it's a perfect picture, prophetic picture of the future, of, the, of uh, Jesus. And, and, you know, there's so many prophetic types in there if you get in and study that. So the, the two most commonly understood covenants are the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant and then there is the new covenant, which is uh, a new covenant where God has established a covenant with us and it's signed and sealed in the blood of his own son, Jesus. And this is such a powerful, powerful thing. And the whole of the Abrahamic covenant and the whole story there points prophetically right to the cross. So everything that we see is prophecy coming to fulfilment. And that is a perfect picture of, 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 uh, of covenant. And, and now we are in this, what the Bible calls a better covenant. In other words, there was the Adamic covenant, there was Noah's covenant, there was a covenant with Abraham, there's a covenant with David, and there's all these covenants in the Old Testament. 
and there's a Palestinian covenant, and then there is the new covenant. And that is the covenant that we actually now relate to God under. So you are a full beneficiary of the new covenant. And because of that, the blessings of Abraham now come right on to us. You know, and, and uh, you know, and it's not just the blessing of a man, it's a blessing of God because Abram's name was Abram. But after he made a covenant with God or God made a covenant with him, his name became Abraham, which is Abram with a great I am in the middle. And this is how covenant is established. You know, it's the God factor. It's God on the inside. And now we don't just have God on the inside of our name. We have God living on the inside. And, and this is like the greatest secret that the enemy wants to keep shut down. He just wants it all in your head and to, you know, to think like religious thoughts. But on the inside, God lives. So on the inside of you, God lives. The God who created the heavens and the earth. And that is how God makes a covenant with you. God uh, prophesied this at the, at the Last Supper. And we're going to take communion this morning. And I think it'll be just a significant communion. Because we are reaffirming the words of Jesus when he prophesied the new covenant. He prophesied it at the Last Supper and he completed it when he was on the cross and he said, it's finished. And his blood was shed. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Do you know what? Unless we identify with the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his atoning sacrifice on the cross, we cannot really know God. We cannot really understand God. We can have religious thoughts and we can be spiritual because, you know, a lot of people are spiritual. I mean, at the opening of the games, they're worshipping Baal. That's very spiritual. So we are created to be spiritual people, but we are created to know the one and only true God. Adam was the first created son Jesus was the only begotten son. And Adam fell from grace. The heavens became closed. Death entered into the human race. But now the second Adam is Jesus. It's the son of God made flesh. It's God in the flesh walking on the earth. And Jesus now, he is the pathway for us to enter into eternal life. But this could not have happened unless a covenant was established. And in the book of Hebrews, it calls it a better covenant. In other words, the covenant of Abraham, magnificent. But this is next level covenant, covenant because it means now, literally, that my friend Greg here, who I walk around the lake with a couple of mornings a week, is, is, he is a human person, but on the inside of him, right here, God now lives. And this is God's covenant promise. And because of that, he has positioned Greg and every one of the believers, the true believers in this house, in the heavenly places. So today, according to the Bible, Jesus is seated in the heavenly places, far above principalities and powers. 
He is seated at the right hand of the Father and at his right hand, Jesus is seated. But the Bible says in Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 10, that we are seated in the heavenly places, right there with Christ Jesus. So this is the power of covenant because we are walking on the earth, but from a spiritual perspective, this is the hidden reality. And the reality, that reality is hidden from mankind. The problem is we don't know who we are and we don't understand the mode of operation that God intended. And we miss out on the best because there is this battle going on in our mind and, and we get sabotaged by the enemy. And we think we're nobody. You know, I would be surprised if there are people in this room this morning who haven't just thought of quitting. And that is because we don't see the God-given potential. But this is the spiritual reality that the God who created heaven sent his son onto the earth. He walked the earth and lived a sinless life. He walked as the manifest son of God for three years. And he paid his, the price of our sin on the cross. He died for you and me. His blood was shed for you and me, sinless blood. And in that is the redeeming sacrifice that opened the way for us. Now, when he went into the grave, he went in there and he preached to the Old Testament saints on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And now he is seated at the, in the heavenly places. He ascended into the heavens. But the most amazing thing happened on the day of Pentecost. He poured out his spirit on mankind in the upper room. And God came from the heavens to the inside of man and woman. That is a remarkable truth. And if we can understand that, it changes everything. Now, people often know it academically, but when you get a revelation that God lives on the inside, it's amazing. And, and I, I believe that God has, to a degree, strengthened me with that revelation because it really helps me in the way that I relate to you. Because when I relate to you, I don't always just see you. I see the God on the inside. Because this is a revelation. And, and this is a major key to life if you can see the, if you understand the God, if you become conscious of the God inside, which is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. It's the Holy Spirit. It's practically unbelievable. And this is why it says in, in uh, why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, Don't you know? that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, at times, you know, I look at people and I think, don't they know? Don't they get it? At times I've thought that myself. I've thought, I'm not worth anything. I've felt so low. I've felt so far away from God. I've felt like checking out. But if you start to realise that God lives in you, and you know, while you are sitting on a chair here in church, spiritually speaking, you're actually seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus, straight out of the Bible. 
So when we pray, we are not praying prayers from a defeated position. We are praying for them from a place of authority, a place of government. And, you know, all our prayers may not be answered straight away, but in time they will be. So it's important that you understand these two covenants, the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant. Now, when it was, it's, it's actually an everlasting covenant that God made with Abram. And he said regarding Abram, he said, I'm going to bless you and you're going to become a nation. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's a big promise. And he said, anybody that curses you, they're going to be cursed. And if anybody blesses you, they're going to be blessed. Now, I tell you what, one of the ways to make sure that you're going to do well is make sure that you keep blessing God's people. Because if we bless God's people, you know, literally, the sons and daughters of the nation of Israel, we are bringing blessing upon ourselves. We're going to see a lot of this unpack and a lot of prophecy fulfilled next year that will really show you a lot about this in the next few years. Now, let's talk about covenant relationships. We are meant to be in covenant with God. We're meant to be. And if you really have sincerely confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord, and you really believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are in covenant with God. It's very good, isn't it? The Bible says if you do that, you'll be saved. The reason is because you're in covenant with him. Do you know what? Covenant has saved me. We're also meant to be in covenant with others. For instance, uh, 43 and a bit years ago, Lynn and myself, uh, um, we celebrated the covenant of marriage. Now, marriage has become so devalued. I'll tell you why. Because the demonic world wants to attack what God's established, which is marriage and also the nation of Israel. This is a reality. But marriage comes under attack. It just does. It's got to. I mean, you know, the day you get married, you think, oh, this is just going to be rosy all the way. Well, not really. But you look at the vows. And you will know that every marriage, particularly marriages that are really ordained by God, will come under attack. So we need to, you know, I I think it's really interesting, you know, how the enemy attacks what God has established. So we're meant to be in covenant with God, right? And we're meant to be in covenant with people. And we are going to take communion at the end of this and we are celebrating covenant. So the covenant that I have with God is different to the covenant that I have with my wife and it is different and the covenant that I have with my wife is different to the covenant that we share together. So we need to understand it's all different but it is the same principle. So this is symbolised every time we take communion And this is why Jesus said, do this in memory of me. Because the most powerful, powerful thing that happened in history as far as you and I are concerned is the Jesus, his actions on the cross and what happened after that. This is the centre point of history. 
In fact, if you look around today, the year is 2022. And 2022 since what? Roughly, you know, give or take a few years if you understand all that calendar thingy. But it's BC and AD. We're in the, in literally, today is, marks the appearance of the Son of God on earth. It's the greatest event that ever happened. There is no excuses for anybody, anywhere, not being able to find God. Because even the calendar declares who he is. What do you think about that? No excuses, sorry. When the guys that I work with at Billy Guides back in the old days used to challenge me about my faith, I used to go to them, what year is it? They go, I was back in about 1990 then. 1990. And you're telling me there's no God. And I go, 1990 since what, you idiots? <laughs> anyway, I'm sure those guys still remember that conversation. So we're meant to be in covenant with God and with his people. And this is symbolised every time we take communion. And that's why it's important for us to take communion. It's actually important for you not only to take communion here, but in your own home. Because it can become a very religious thing. And in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about, about this whole area of covenant. And it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread of, uh, or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood, the body and blood of the Lord. It says, Let a man e examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. It's very interesting scripture, isn't it? Because what it's talking about is that we need to value covenant and treat it seriously. And, and the reason I'm talking about this is because we are really in a post-covenant era. Our nation has, has been under incredible blessing because of its alignment with the blessings of God. And we risk a dangerous future when we begin to step outside of that. So it's important to understand so, so uh, covenant is always under attack. So I'm talking about this because the power of covenant has largely been lost and covenant has been replaced by convenience. There has been a downgrading of the importance of relationship in the church and the nation. A downgrading. And one of the things that is an institution in the church is the institution of holy matrimony. It's holy. When a man and woman stand at the altar before God and man and take their vows, they are entering into the most powerful human covenant that is known to us, which is called holy matrimony. So I don't think I'll call it marriage anymore because I think that people don't know what marriage really is. But this is holy matrimony where the two become one, stand before God and ask for his blessing. It's very powerful. 
So we need to realise that this is a God thing. This is an institution that needs to be rediscovered, restudied and reinstituted the way that it should be. Now let me tell you about the symptoms of the times. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. I think that's interesting. You know, I always read that for the last 30 plus years and I thought, forbidding to marry. And I don't know whether there's actually going to be a day where that will happen. We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But I know that that spirit is in the earth that attacks covenant. Do you see that? And the Apostle Paul saw it nearly 2,000 years ago when he was caught up into the heavenlies. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3... Uh, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Gosh, we could be living in the last days right now, couldn't we? Who knows? I'm not overly worried about that. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. No chance. Actually, I don't mind some of it myself to be... Anyway, just confessing my sin there. What about you? I mean, I've had times when I've had money in my wallet and times when I haven't had money in my wallet. I know which one's best. All right, believe me. They'll be boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Dr. Jonathan David said, we are living in perilous times because we have perilous leaders. And wouldn't it be wonderful if every church throughout the nation of Australia prayed for one to rise up and take their place in civic leadership, we wouldn't have the problems that we are having. The point is we're living in the last days and the last days you know, regardless of whether it is the uh, uh, last days on planet Earth or whether it's my last days, I mean, I'm, six, I'm not old, but 66, I mean, I mean, time's flying. You don't want to get too bent out of shape of this. We're not here for a long time. And we really need to realise the times that we are living in. And this is why I wanted to talk about this. Because in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, it also talks about the times that we are living in. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. Jesus says this to his disciples and he's talking about the signs of the end times. And he says, take heed that no one deceives you. I reckon that's a cracker. If you want to know what time we're living in right now, there is like a blanket of delusion and deception right over the earth that is touching every institution. And I reckon it has been coming for years, but it accelerated big time when Australia decided to do away and to devalue covenant. 
We are in an interesting time in the cities and the nations of the earth. But God's got a way out for every one of us. It says in this passage of scripture that people will fall away and betray one another. I have seen phenomena over the last decade which I would not have thought possible. And this is the time we're living in. We must understand the times. And, and it's also remarkable that God has placed you and me here for this time. He's actually, I believe, as part of our covenant blessing with him, he gave us this building. By the way, it's three years since we dedicated these stables to the Lord. That's amazing, isn't it? Where did that go? For about 18 months of that, we've been locked out, but we're getting a good run at it now. And God is going to do a great thing in the future. But this is the verse that I wanted to talk to our church about. And it's in 24, Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. And it says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I really believe this morning that the Lord wants me to address the problem of cold love. Because in this time, we could, ever let, we could let our love grow cold or uh, as a church, we could be guilty of cold love. What is meant by cold love? It's really good just to get in and to get around this. I believe that cold love is commitment without feeling. In other words, you can start out and you can have holy matrimony, but eventually you let other things come in and you have a commitment, but you have no feeling. It's love without feeling. Love is more than a feeling, it's commitment. But when the feeling, when you let the feeling go because of certain things that you've allowed in, you know, like there's just familiarity, there's just life, things happen, you know, and, and that's a reality that we need to accept. But this is where we've allowed things to come in and contaminate our relationship. We must make sure that our love is not cold love. What is meant by cold love? I believe it's commitment without feeling and it's words without honour. Words without honour. Jesus said regarding the Pharisees, he said, you guys honour me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And this is very much to do with the heart. Because see, you can honour one another with your words. I love seeing how women post on, you know, on uh, Facebook. Oh, you look gorgeous, you know. <laughs> Stunning, beautiful. And I've been to parties, I've been to parties where they're, I've been there and I've heard women say this. Some woman comes in all dressed up and they go, you look beautiful, stunning, gorgeous. I can't say it the way girls say it. <laughs> and then when the girl walks past, they go, and isn't she it? Cold love. Cold love. I want to address it because we can have cold love in our church or we can have real love. 
And we need to understand the dimensions of covenant, covenant with God. That is where ultimately our passion, our love, the intensity of our worship needs to go. The covenant of marriage, which is sacred between God and man, and there's only room for three in that marriage, not four. Some of you went, "Hmm." man, woman, and God. That's it. And once something else becomes involved in that, that marriage, which was vows were made before God, can become a train wreck. But this area of cold love, we need to be careful because it is the byproduct of religion. It is love that is tainted by hypocrisy. And, uh, you know, uh, I want you to know this. We can't call anybody out in the world hypocrites. But they sure can and they sure do call us hypocrites. Because they see exactly how we love one another, whether we are true or whether we're false. And I want our church to be real. I want it to be built on honourable relationships. Wherever you fall into that realm in your own mind of covenant with God, husband and wife, and, and the brotherhood of believers and sisterhood of believers, it's got to be accurate. We can't miss it. And we've got to make sure that we are lovers of God and that we are lovers of one another. And you know, in the scripture, Jesus put it right there in the bloke's face. He did. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I tell you what, you can't love your wife because you're not married yet. You can't love your wife if she's leading the way spiritually in the house. You can't. You've got to lead, man. Now, she can lead too if she wants. We are totally for women in leadership. I mean, well, totally for it. But wherever... Dad is not turning up to the prayer meeting and, and turning up to church on time and leading from the front, there is a disorder that needs to be corrected. I like these sort of mornings where we sit around like this and have a chat. Now, the reality is, is that people have become very cold in this generation. I notice when the... Uh, pandemic was happening Greg and myself have been walking around the lake lots and it's really great Uh, but what you know when we first started walking around the lake everybody would say hello to you because there was a shock and we began to value one another again but now plugged in not interested in anyone and we've come back to this space Do you know what? Be careful that your love doesn't grow cold. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You know, the people out there in the world are not going to get touched with the leaven of the Pharisees. It's people in church. 
So Jesus said that, I'll tell you why. He hated, he didn't hate the Pharisees, but he hated the spirit. It was on the nose. Gosh, he said some good things to them. Now, now here's a couple of things about the leaven of the Pharisees. The pride of position. The pride of position. They love the pride of position. More, more law than love. More law than love. These guys had protocols around them that determined the behaviour of everybody in worship. I tell you what, you want to make sure that you haven't got too many protocols and that you just darn well love people. Is this all right? One of the things about the Pharisees is they never got their hands dirty. They would never rock up to the lepers and undo any of the pain. No way, they wouldn't get their hands done. They would have been triple masked and gloves on everything. (laughs) Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees because Jesus went right into the lepers and he did that. Religion has got a smell about it. And I want to raise it because churches everywhere have got to make sure there is no leaven of the Pharisees on the inside. In fact, Jesus didn't say beware too many times, but he said beware the leaven of the Pharisees. I mean, that's the biggest one for Christians to be careful of because that means I'm going to judge someone. Judge them. Don't judge anybody. Because you haven't walked where they're walked. The Pharisees could not reach out beyond their own comfort. They couldn't reach anyone. They couldn't help anyone. You know, it's safe and it's warm in here. But in the future, if our nation's going to turn around, we've got to get our hands dirty. You know, it's going to, you know, people are really messed up out there. And we can be safe and secure and wait for the rapture in church or we can be Jesus to this community and we can get right in there where the devils are, right where the demons are, right where all the untidy people are and we can give them a hug. Sideways hug, if if you must. But let the love on the inside of you reach someone. But religion won't do that. It won't do that. But it loves position, it loves success, it loves money, loves to look good. But Jesus said, man, you blokes are just a tombstone, painted nice and white, and you're full of dead men's bones. I mean, imagine copping that from Jesus. How would you feel? I'd feel like repenting. Cold love. Make sure there's no cold love here. It's good. Because see, one of the future, the foundation stones of the future move is going to be love that burns hot. But it's love that's pure. It's love that's honourable. It's love that knows where the boundaries are. It's love that can reach anybody, anywhere. Jesus' love compelled him to cross over. He was the Lord of glory, but, you know, he wasn't worried about getting sin on him because he knew that his destiny was actually to become sin on the cross. 
Do you know that? That he became sin on the cross. He was totally sinless, totally pure, totally holy, totally God. And on the cross, the Bible says he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Do you know what? The only righteousness that we can actually attribute to us is what God has given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your love hot or is it cold? And, and you know, if you if you're thinking maybe this is talking to me, you've got to come back and understand covenant. Because how did Jesus ratify that covenant? How did he do it? On the cross, standing before sinful human beings, crucified, and his speech is, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Well, the best we can do to one another is say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. I've done that lots. It's a joke. Can't reach beyond your own comfort. That's a pharisaical thing. Can't forgive. Is there anybody here who has problems with forgiveness? Cold love. It's always been there, but you'll find it more in religious circles. Now, it has a form of godliness. It has a form of godliness. You know, in, uh, when we're talking about 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 down to 4, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers themselves, but having a form of godliness, having a form of godliness. In other words, you'd never know the difference. I can turn up and have a form of godliness. You can, but what's going on on the inside? How are we feeling about one another? Who's really ticked us off in church? And the other one is, how do we treat people who have left? Have we got enough love to cross over, grab them by the hand and bring them back? Because most people that leave church leave for a reason. And I'll tell you what it is, cold love. I've witnessed it, I've felt it. And it's so destructive in church. Most of the kids that walk out that door will never come back is because of cold love. We call it love. We sing about it, but it's cold on the inside and it doesn't give a rip about anyone because it protects itself. This is the foundation stone of the next move. Covenant love. Covenant love. And the type of love that Jesus demonstrated because I know I don't deserve this. I know me. You get to see me, hear me, all the good parts. Lynn knows a little bit more about me than you do and vice versa. I pull the blankets right over every morning, right over all my way. (laughs) so we've got to watch this a form of godliness I tell you what we've got to turn our heart to people that are outside because cold love will keep you loving people that will love you back that's cold love 
But there's a love that's got to go further where we can look somebody who's genuinely lost in the eye and say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you make it through. We all need someone like that. Everybody needs, you need someone like that. Somebody is totally lost and you've got to bring them in. You might get your hands dirty. Might even learn some swear words and never ever thought existed yet. <laughs> might meet some friends that are, oh gosh. This is important because this generation are caught up in the stronghold of cold love. It really touches the youth in churches too. And I'll tell you what, it's convenience over covenant. And when young people get involved intimately before they should, it results in cold love. It results in cold love. Because I'll tell you what, I've had one intimate relationship in my life, honestly, my wife. And I thank God for that. And, and that's rare for a lot of people, but let me tell you what happens. When a young person is intimate with another young person and walks away, they've already, in a sense, established covenant. And they walk away as though that person doesn't exist. Cold love. So that's where I'm not just old-fashioned. I know what's going on. You know, the whole try before you buy culture that's in church is so destructive. And it's really hard for our young people because the culture out there is so like that. So we need to pray for our young people. We need to support them. We need to love them. We need to be very careful. We need to discern where they're at, but we need to be very careful that we don't judge them. Cold love comes at a cost. So how do we fix this? Well, covenant love is needed to turn the world around. It will be the highest quality, the highest and most obvious standout quality of the church in the last days. Not cold religious love, but real love for one another, for those that we are called to walk with. Religious people are limited in the way they love. There are rules and there are protocols and there is too much respectability. Paul said this. He said, let your love be without hypocrisy. Covenant love looks further, goes further and breaks down every barrier and crosses over every boundary to reach the heart of another person. And this is John 3.16 in action. I think we could all change, couldn't we? All of us. And just as importantly, it sees the God potential in hardened sinners. God's final move will be a covenant love move. It will be. It's going to be. John 13, 3, 5. By this all men that will know you are truly disciples if you have love one for another. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him, in other words, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their own testimony, and they did not love their own lives even to death. Best verse in the Bible. Best verse. So this is great. Covenant love, hey? Covenant love. They did not love their own lives to death. But they fought for one another. The early church gathered daily, broke bread together, shared their lives together, sold everything. Mind you, I think that's a bit intense. (laughs) But some people, anyway, I'm not going to talk about that. That's another message for another time. So covenant loves the future. In other words, when people see you love with a real pure love, they know that's different. Because everyone out there loves with an agenda. Cold love. People in church can love with an agenda. So Jesus is into cold love. Now listen to this. This is the key. This is why this is important. In Isaiah 42, 6, it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Did you hear that? God says, I will give you as a covenant to the Gentiles. So Jesus, it was talking about Jesus, but now it's talking about the church. God has given us as a covenant to the Gentiles. Well, it's gone. It's back. He has been given to us as a covenant. Now we have been given to one another. Hey, in a sense, as your pastor, I've been given to you as a covenant. And in a way, you've been given to me as a covenant. I've been given to Lynn as a covenant. And she's been given to me as a covenant. Now we, if we can get this right, are going to be given to the city as a covenant. So this is literally the building block of the greatest breakthrough that would, has ever historically happened in the nations. I want to give you some tips about walking in covenant and then we're going to take communion. Number one, genuinely care for people. Just genuinely care. You know that uh, ad, ring someone who cares? <laughs> it's a good ad actually. Genuinely care for people. We want to be a church that genuinely cares for one another. Perfect love casts out fear. Some people are fearful. So they're fearful of people getting up close. They're fearful of saying something that they may not. They're fearful of being not accepted. Perfect love casts out fear, number one. Genuinely care for people and ask God to perfect your love. Number two, be genuinely generous to people. Generous to people. Be generous. This is how the church is built by what every joint supplies. This is Ephesians chapter 4. 
This is what it is. It's what you bring to the church. It's what I bring to the church. It's generosity. Therefore, you, you know, one of the best ways to reaffirm your covenant, covenant with someone is to send them on a holiday if they need that. Cold love justifies not giving assent. Cold love. But you know, if you want to, when, when I go out for a coffee with people, I need to let you pay more. Sometimes people are just not generous. But the best way that you can reaffirm a covenant with one another is be generous to them. These guys are so generous. I don't know how many roasts we've had around there. Time for another one. I tell you what, if they invite you over there, you go because you'll get a good feed. Be generous. You know, in, your, in the restaurant, you know, one day we were in the, uh, Mr. Raymond down there, Lynn and myself went down, had breakfast, and I looked at a, a, a woman, and I reckon she would have been 60, having breakfast with her grandson, I reckon. And I thought, I'm going to pay for that. And I paid, and I got out of there. It would have been really good to hang around and see the face. I mean, we've been given a covenant to the city. Sometimes people are so stingy. And often it's people that shouldn't be. You can see where they got where they are because they don't give anyone anything. Not in this church, but... Cold love. If there's cold love on the inside of you, this message would be grinding you, I know that. Covenant is, is proven and reaffirmed by giving. Three more points and I'm going quickly. Meaningful contact and communication. There's no covenant without contact and communication. Covenant needs to be affirmed. Don't wait for me to initiate. You initiate. Make sure that you stay in contact. I've got a spiritual father in Malaysia. I make sure that I'm regularly, every couple of weeks, just sending him something, even though he's not well. Just contact. Just build the, build the friendship, build the relationship. Imagine if you didn't talk to your wife for six months. Just looking around. Say, I'm thinking of you. I care for you. I thank you for that message. I love you. Love you, man. Those words should not scared, scare you. If you do, you've got too much fear in there. And perfect love casts out fear. If that's too much for you, just say, hey, we're in this together. I support you. I believe in you. Words of affirmation. Number four, determined to overcome every conflict. In a group this size, you'll have conflict. Gonna happen, probably by the time the day's out. <laughs> overcome it. Some of my best friends I've had the biggest conflict with. I don't mind conflict because it normally means people have got character and they're real. 
and I'm not beyond creating the conflict myself. I don't want to create offence, but sometimes you've got to bring stuff right out so you can talk about it. We're in this together. What a great thing to say. I don't have to agree with everything you say. You don't have to agree with everything I say. But we are in this together. We're going to take communion in a minute. Lynn and myself are in this together. That's it. I've been given as a covenant to her, vice versa. And we have a great time. We really do. It's awesome. It's the only way to go. Michael and Eve on coffee, they've been given as a covenant to us. Who wouldn't love them? Lenny, Lenny, the way he treats my daughter Renee sometimes moves me to tears because it's just genuinely fatherly love. I'm glad she's not afraid of that. So you've got to discern the body of Christ. You've got to know who you're in covenant with. Determine to overcome every conflict. Do it quickly. And this is just where I'll finish. Always come back to purpose. Because it's not about our cosy. It's about purpose. And you know, when Lynn and myself got married, it was about us. But then God revealed his purpose to us. And you know, I believe that... uh, This place is a great place and it's going to produce great leaders because of covenant. Amen. God help me to be a covenant person. Best way to start that journey as you go, we're in this together. How's that? Is that easy? We're in it together.